I'm Matthew McCleary. And I'm Mitchell McCleary. And this is Movies While They Sleep. The podcast where two brothers watch movies and talk about them after their families have gone to bed. Welcome to today's episode where we watched Minari, the new film from director Lee Isaac Chung and starring Steven Yeun. We hope you enjoy today's episode, and we're going to cut to our conversation about Minari already in progress. Let's jump in, sleepyheads. So I, I'm not, I don't necessarily relate to fighting ongoing for weeks, but, but kind of learning someone for over a long period of time of like, okay, we, we have very different, we have the same goal, but very different ways of getting there yeah. that, that do tend to clash, but, but also like iron out. Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. And, and I, and, and I think that it's kind of what we were observing was like people fighting over the same thing or a fight that goes on for a month at a time. Oh, like a singular, a singular thing. conflict. Right. And I'm like, right. I don't, I would, I would be going crazy. I would be out of my mind. Yeah. But it's funny about the, it is funny about the fights that are the same thing. Yeah, that you you still that still get brought up, and yeah. it, it's kind of like saying I love you to a person. It, it similar in that the thing that is at the core of this quote unquote fight hasn't been completely resolved, and it it's like a spiral inward mm. to get to resolving, mm. and it it you know it's a slow gradual process yeah. towards the center, but you're still not there the next day. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it's like oh, we're fighting about this again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it's not about the thing again. It's about us, you know, trying to learn the other person. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's just good. That's a like really healthy conflict in relationship. There is healthy conflict in relationship too, because conflict ultimately, when you can enter into conflict in a healthy way, I think creates space for vulnerability and intimacy. Right. That if you don't, if you're just avoiding conflict with a person, then you're never going to get there and the relationship's not going to grow. Right. Which is true for friendships. Yeah. Yeah. For any, any type of, of like deep relationship where you hit that wall and like, all right, we're going to bust through this or are we going to let it stand between us? Yes. I mean, I, 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 you know, am open enough to say that we've been through that yeah. where you hit a point of, okay, do we want to get really close yeah. or, you know, pretty distant for the rest of our lives we decided to start a podcast <laughs> and you get to hear us break through those walls <laughs> listeners which you know i i do think uh, you know i've you know what my role is on this podcast is to be the one that says you know and maybe this is a good way you of know, uh sorry to talk about the you're movie. beating me to it because i was just gonna say it i was just gonna okay. say we have these conversations and we don't know where they're gonna start and we don't know how it's going to get to the movie. Where they're going to end. We don't know how it's going to get to the movie. But I think so much of the core of Minari, which is the movie that we're doing for this episode, um, is... Congratulations, Logan Hasty, for uh, winning the contest, by the yes. way. Yes. Yes, we had our first giveaway. Um, so if you have not watched Minari, it is available as a digital rental on iTunes, Amazon, $20, all that. And if you have theaters open near you, you can see it in a movie Like theater. Logan. Yeah. Lucky Logan. Uh, yeah, so I think central to central to Minari is an ongoing conflict between this husband and wife. Minari is this movie about a uh, Korean immigrant family who have been in the United States for, for some time. It takes place in the 80s. Uh, they've been in the U.S. for a while. They were working in California and uh, the the husband Jacob has just bought this plot of land in Arkansas, in rural Arkansas, and they're gonna he's gonna start a farm, and this is their you know ticket to the American dream and you know just stable life for their two kids and uh, a measure of prosperity that they would not have been able to achieve, you know doing this kind of grunt farm work in California, and. Basically, the moment the movie starts, his wife Monica is uh, kind of resentful towards this decision that he's made for the family 
because of the situation they're now in, disconnected from everyone they know, their culture, and and actually literally everything because they're on a farm in the middle of nowhere, and and that continues through that 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 kind of conflict resentment that continues on through the entire film, right? Would you say that? Yeah. Well, the, it's similar to what we were talking about, where it feels like the. Um, this couple has the same goal for the family, but they just go about it in, in very different ways. Or the things that they prioritize or value along the way to the goal yeah. are, are completely different. The approaches that they feel comfortable, uh, you know, using. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, and I, I really, I really kind of resonated to this, this lead character, Jacob, as this, as this man who is just so desperate to provide for his family, but not just provide, but really to move them into into thriving, that he is going to just he's going to figure out he's going to work work his butt off. He is going to kind of uh, almost like by his own strength and will, he is going to uh, get them to a, a new and better place. Right and and. And Monica, the wife, she's, you know, she obviously wants that, but I think the way she's approaching it is really making sure that her family is cared for, that her kids are feeling stable in the emotional space of their family, and and like literally that they feel stable in the home that they're living in, which is on wheels, which is, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, a double wide on wheels, and and how all of that, you know, screams instability for her kids right one of the first shots in the in the movie is jacob helping her into the home Uh, which is what it's like four feet yeah like level that he has to hold her hand to get to step up but it's a perfect little glimpse into their dynamic early on yeah where he's just he's pushing ahead he's like yeah we we, this is great yeah this is great we've made it awesome we're we're gonna start a farm and everything's gonna be great and she is so I don't want to say unimpressed because that's that's not uh, she is so kind of burdened and worried about what this place is going to to do to her kids psyche and and just stability and and all of that what does it mean for them day to day when he's off yeah like digging the trenches for his dream yeah like he gets to do a lot of practical work towards his vision, yeah. But they have to deal with the reality day to day. But it's funny you say that, and I think, I I think, I wonder how many people could really relate to that over the last year of how many couples have now had to split or adjust, especially with kids, to, right? To one person in a couple really taking on the okay, our kids are home full time now. We're doing distance learning, and the other person gets to either escape to a home office or like in my case, I get to go to an office and I feel like guilt about that. Like that I just get to go to my office and work, even though I'm providing for my family, I'm doing, I'm doing meaningful work and nobody's making me feel guilty. I feel guilty about it because Megan is at home and she needs to be engaged, you know, so much of the time with our son and like zoom distance learning. You're you're reading the story of my life over here. Oh yeah, yeah, same exact. Thing. Yeah, we're, we're, I have I have an office, and I do have lots of work, both full time job, yeah. freelance, a couple other side gigs, a podcast, <laughs> but it, it's a it's a fun world to get to do work in. Yeah, and and you know when something's meaningful for you, it's especially something like work. Yeah, which you know you can hopefully find a lot of meaning in what you do for a living. Yeah. Um, but th- th- it's almost fun yeah. to, to get to go do that yeah. versus deal with the, the everydayness, the mundane, yeah. the, 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 even especially during COVID, the not looking forward to things. Yeah. You know, before COVID, even if, you know, your, your, our, your lives look like that where, you know, you're going to work and, and Sarah's staying at home, at, at least there's a lot of things to break up the mundane because it's time yep. with friends, it's special events, it's that kind we'll of We'll bring stuff. you a coffee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that just doesn't happen. 
Yeah, and, and Minari is such a great visceral picture of we get to just hope that your dream turns out really great for all of us. Mm. Like, yeah, you make a living, and that's you know that's great. But the bigger dream that Jacob has in this movie of doing his own farm because he's a he's a chicken sexter. No, uh, no, no, chicken sexer. Sexting is when you sex and text. He doesn't text <laughs> nudes to chickens <laughs> or ask for them. Don't cancel Jacob, guys. He's a, he's a good man. Uh, he's a chicken sexer, and he's he's one of the best from what I hear. Can you explain? what chicken sexing was because this was a new thing for me you know what's funny i knew about it because i watched dirty jobs back in the day with mike rowe oh wow okay so so you and he was on a chicken farm and they teach you how to check baby chicks to see if it's a a boy or a girl and the girls are much more valuable obviously because they make eggs and they taste good yeah the boys you only need one around so and then having someone that can identify the sex of baby chicks quickly is is valuable yeah and Jacob is one of the best. Yeah. He's known for it. He's got a reputation as a chicken sexer. It's pretty impressive. But it's not his dream. And so he, he can do that job, solid solid income, or a solid living yeah. for the family. But he's pouring all these hours into this, this actual dream of the farm. And uh, I would imagine, and I, I know it probably is to a degree, the family saying, okay, we'll just trust that this dream's going to turn out for all of us. Yeah. That it's like going to be a greater good for the family. But in the meantime, it's pretty hard to see. Yeah. And it literally, there's just seeds in the ground. Yeah. Because there is, there doesn't seem, there doesn't seem to be much hope when you, when they're looking around at, at this dirt field. Right. And, and that, you know, that takes so much time. But I, it's, I, I like that you bring up the chicken sexing stuff because there, I, I think there's this, a metaphor in that and and so the the male baby chicks in the, in the film at this factory that they work at this you know chicken farm um that they work at they basically um burn the baby chicks the baby male chicks they they have no uh value they have no use for them they kill them throw them in a furnace and you know they're worthless and in the film jacob cut, cut to cut to smoke yes plumes from the factory and the little boys asking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So Jacob and his son, David are outside looking at this plume of smoke and, you know, Jacob kind of remarks on the, the, the total non-value of the, the male chicks as you know, he, they are the males of their family. And it becomes kind of this metaphor of Jacob really trying to prove his worth for the sake of his family by being the best at what he does with the chicken work but then also on his farm he is going to put in you know 16 hours a day plus you know however many hours he's at the factory because he he is constantly trying to demonstrate that he can be successful and that he's valuable right it's funny how much power monica has Mm. in that situation where it feels like he gets to be the man the husband go out do the dream do the farm but when you when you boil it down, or I guess when you burn it down, when you incinerate it, uh, he's just trying to prove himself. And that, I I noticed that too. It's such a good comparison to be. He says to his son, "It's like he doesn't say this exactly, but in so few words, we better make sure we're we're pretty valuable yeah. to what we bring to the table. Yeah, because because we're, you know, like like the male chicks, you know. Yeah, and and I think. Like we're we're talking about power dynamics in this relationship. We talk about, you know, Jacob's drive to 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 prove his worth in his family. And I think the movie the movie wants you to think actually none of these people are thinking rightly about this. Mm-hmm. That that you know Jacob's drive and ambition is good to a point, but see his risk is good to a point. yes his risk is good to a point, but see the 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 chasm it's creating in his marriage and um and and monica has no she she does not need him to be this thing that he's striving for but he's not hearing that he's not and she tells him she she she's very explicit with him in certain scenes where she said we can go back to california and make enough money to get by and he's he and she's saying i'm content with that because my family right. will be better and whole 
then and right. we you know we'll feel safer and all of these things and 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 he's literally not hearing her and she has it's not that she's exercising power over him but 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 he's putting that on himself and all of that i think is then again literalized later in the movie it's it's a great movie because it's funny because i think we're, we as we're talking about it and we're describing a lot of the metaphors in the movie some of them feel pretty heavy-handed but in the experience of watching it none of it felt that um right none, none of it felt that uh overdone but it's literalized as there's like tornado sirens and a major storm happening in their in their town and they are worried that there's a real risk that a tornado is going to come and absolutely destroy their trailer home and monica is saying what are you going to do how are you going to protect us and there's nothing he can do because he's just a guy and it's a tornado right I forget what he actually says does he say like oh we'll we'll, we'll be fine it's not it's not going to land or yeah he, he, he tries to reassure them up to a point and then and 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 because she wants to leave she wants to get in the car and get away and he's saying no we got to stay here we got to stay on the farm and i think part of that is you know his to leave the farm is to like almost leave that at risk and he's put so much investment and so much time into this he can't go back he, he can't leave it and even though even though no matter what he does if a tornado comes there's nothing he can do to stop it and right and and then the power gets cut and you know they they just have to trust that they're going to be okay but but he's trying to reassure them and i think he's just trying to reassure reassure himself right it yeah it's uh me and sarah have talked about this before that just our our general outlooks on life that i i tend to be very why wouldn't this work out Mm, like of course it's gonna work out it's gonna be great and she tends to be like here are all the reasons why it won't work out yeah and neither of them, if we were to just go with that completely, is yes. is good. Yeah. Like there have been plenty of times why, yeah, this is why this won't work out. Maybe we should think about yeah. it. But there's also plenty of times where being adventurous is rewarded. Yeah. You know, and the goal is to move towards each other in that. And so you see that even even here, it's like, well, you know, my dream is at stake. Yeah. I hear you that the, there's danger, but it'll be fine. It's gonna be great. Yeah. And, you know, and he's having to make whether consciously or not decisions about, you know, the trade off between his family and his dream. Right. Which is like absolutely terrifying. And I think if if you could sit this guy down and give him a little bit of sense, you know, I think he would make the right decision. I think he dearly loves his kids and his and his wife. But but that drive is so all consuming for him day to day. How much of it do you think he is actually convinced? Like, do you? It, is it all for the family at the end of the day? Or is he just convinced of that? Because that's a, a more noble reason to do what you're doing. Well, he's cer- right? he is certainly convinced that it is for the family. So right. I think I think whether it is or not, uh, on the surface level, his intentions are good and noble, right? Yeah, it's an easier thing to justify anything you do. Yes. To be like, well, this is for us. Yeah. But... But of course, then it's the sorting through the layers and digging deeper. Is it really for the family? Is it for his own pride and glory? Um, I don't know. I I think I think Jacob's a pretty good guy. I don't think right. I, I don't think he is got that insidious of motives. Um, I, I what just like personal pride? Yeah, I, I don't think he's consciously yeah. choosing those things. Right. Uh, but I think I think when when ambition. I think ambition can so easily move into this kind of unhealthy pride, especially when it's tangled up with the way we want to provide for our families or, or whatever it is. You know, I think about a scene late in the movie. It's this really, you know, there's there's this clear tension between them. And, you know, she wants to go back to California. Eventually, she brings her mother out from Korea to live with them and kind of help her with the kids and around the house and all of that. And, and I think to give her some sense of stability, um, to, to give yeah. her uh, a little bit more... Uh, the grandma is a very interesting, fun character. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to her. But in this moment, Jacob is working at the chicken farm all day and then putting hours and hours and hours into the farm, his, his own farm, digging, whatever it is. And there's a scene where he comes into their little bathroom in this 
in this you know trailer or whatever and he asks monica can you help me i can't lift my arms to wash my own hair and what i love about what i love about that moment because then she sits on the toilet and he sits in the bathtub and she washes his hair and it's very vulnerable it's very very intimate very supportive of her for him uh, but what I love about that moment is that feels very true to life in terms of what a marriage would be that they could be having ongoing tension but ultimately he adores his wife that's why he's doing this and mm. and she loves her husband she I think does have a lot of respect for him and the hard work that he's putting in for their family even as she doesn't love the consequences of those decisions because a a worse movie there'd be ongoing bitterness resentment and he needs help right i can't lift my heart until you wash my hair and she would walk out and roll her eyes and that would be the scene right and instead it's the yeah i'm gonna help you because i love you right i saw a tweet the other day it was marriage is just two people refusing to give up on each other yeah yeah absolutely and that's what i think that moment really represents she can she can be pissed all she wants about the the even about the the dumpy little bathroom she's in in their trailer but right. she's still going to take care of her husband she loves him yeah it's a yeah. it's a great really well shot great intimate moment between the two of them i i, I like that yeah you know i i yeah i hear what you're saying about a, wor- a lesser movie would 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 play it one more one note and i've been having this conversation with friends lately is i'm watching these movies that Get, make people appear more complex than people I know in real life seem to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. But, yeah, like more and more. A lot in this movie, though, because there's so many characters and choices that, you know, your brain auto fills in the ending yeah. or how a character is going to turn out because of all the movies and tropes you've seen yes. or even bad movies yeah. that set you up. And uh, like one example is Jacob's friend, forget his name, Paul. terrible with names. Uh, Paul, yeah, Mitch, Mitchell forgetting names is going to be a trope <laughs> on this thing. But Paul, classic name for a classic guy. Um, he he's uh, what? Would, how would you describe uh, him? U- uber religious? Yeah, so he is. He kind of represents um, a certain stream of charismatic Pentecostalism in the South, um, especially of the time period. I don't know if we mentioned this, but the movie takes place in the early eighties. And yeah. and he's kind of a older middle aged guy who has worked on farms all his life, and he wants to help Jacob out work on the farm with him. Exactly. So older middle aged guy, really scruffy, kind of creepy sometimes yeah. with the, with that religiosity, um, because sometimes it, it it the earlier on the the signals the movie gives you tells your brain because you've seen it a million times that this guy is not sincere. Yes. W- with this with this, uh, you know, these showcases of his worship or prayer or whatever. Yeah, I mean, speaking and, in tongues, wanting to yeah. do kind of like demonic deliverance of the of the field and... Yeah, randomly just staying out. Praise Jesus. Yeah. And and because of his his appearance is, is really scruffy and, and, you know, whatever. He's got the big old glasses that, uh, like, classically are, like, pedophile-looking yes, glasses. Yes, Um. And it's so funny you bring that stuff up because the first scene where he just kind of seems to stumble onto their farm. It's creepy. It's creepy. And I'm like, is he going to be like, is it, is it going to be, he's really racist because they're a Korean family. Exactly. All the questions that you're about to list out. Is he going to be racist? Is he going to some dark thing with children? Is he, you know, whatever violent thing. Is he a drunk? Yeah. Those are all your questions because that's every trope ever for this character so far. Yeah. And the movie doesn't do that to not one of them. And it's 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 like thank God, yeah. Because it's you realize because you're already finishing the ending in your head how boring of an ending that is. Yes, because you've thought of it already. Yeah, because everyone else has thought of it. And so the movie treats a lot of characters with a level of dignity in in regards to their complexity. Yeah, because like another example. Well, I I just want to say on the Paul thing, one of the things that I really appreciated about the character was that the movie uh, is very comfortable displaying his his kind of practice of Pentecostal charismatic evangelicalism 
and it's it's out there, right? But at one point, he's carrying a literal cross yeah, down the road. Yeah, that's what he does for church on Sundays, is he carries a cross however many miles or whatever. But the movie never makes fun of him, and the movie mm-hmm. never treats it as anything but entirely sincere. Right. And there are characters in the movie that think it's odd, or the teenagers on the church bus that are making fun of him. But the film itself, it this is there's a lot it of refuses to write him off. Exactly. Sorry, yeah. sorry. And yeah. I and I think that's an important I think that's a helpful point because that's what the movie does consistently throughout is Exactly. Is it's treating everyone with a lot of care, respect, and sincerity. Exactly. And so um, two other characters I'll connect that to real quick is uh, they go to church and um, the little boy again bad with names. What's the, what's David. the little boy's name? David, who steals the show oh, in this thing, amazing he, performance by um, Alan Kim, little young actor. He's awesome. He's unreal. Yeah. I mean, he's the cutest kid I've ever seen in my life, yeah. but he's also a great actor. Yeah. And so if they're at this church. Church is over that church potluck, and um, they're in Arkansas, and so this this Korean family is standing out in this sea, sea of white. And, I mean, it's like um, a little rural church. Right, yeah. right. Um, so they can't really hide in the back. And this little little boy comes up to David and uh, clearly never seen a Korean person before. He, he asked David why his face is so flat. Yeah. And immediately, immediately your brain goes, oh, God, this is going to be the racist kid or the racist church. Yeah. And that that's going to be the the one note yeah. that is uh, applied to, to these people. Yeah. And you know, it's is it going to culminate into violence against them? Is it yeah. going to you know all, all these all these movies that you've seen before? Yeah. And but the the very next thing that David says is it's not. I'm you know it's normal. Yeah. And the, and then the white kid's like, all right, well, do you want to come over and hang out and have a sleepover? Yes. And they immediately become friends. Yeah. And it's like so refreshing. The, the way that they can show someone who clearly has flaws, but in the same scene, same token, show that they have a lot of beauty to offer and to bring to the table. Yeah. So often, at least nowadays, we want the person to just be defined by their flaw, the thing that makes right. them cancelable. Right. And the movie is like, yeah, that's there, but... Also, this ends up being David's friend, and they have sleepovers, and 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 you know they're sweet with each other, and they they you know that's that's also there, and right, live in the tension. It's fine. You're gonna be okay, <laughs> right? Or even just take a note out of David book, David's book of like it's not weird, it's normal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving, on. Moving on, and then yeah, and even that kid's father. Uh, again, you get a moment that the, um, David's friend, uh, don't know his name, but the white kid's dad comes I, home. You know what? I, I was about to say I, his name is probably Johnny, and I'm looking at the cast list, and there's a Johnny, I'm, I'm assuming. That's got to be it. Little Johnny. Um, but Johnny's dad comes home, and you know he's got dirty teeth, and he's, he's gruff. He's drunk. He's drunk, and you're like, okay, okay. The, the movie hasn't shown me the racist person yet, like the really bad <laughs> racist person. So it's definitely this guy. And he does make a comment about something with their family on, like their family moving in yeah. uh, to their neighborhood. But again, quickly moves on. Yeah. The the dad shows that he's at least a semi safe person to yeah. David and semi welcoming too. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, he, he leaves the boys again saying, don't tell your mother that I was drunk or whatever it was. Yeah. So it's like, yes, hugely flawed character, but not just this this uh, cartoon or, or a, a trope. Like, it's a lived character yeah. who has, who has you know, unhealthy worldviews, but can also be a safe person in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. It's like, man, you're not used to seeing that. No, no, not at all. And I think that is, and we, we mentioned her earlier, but really... I think such a key character to the film is Monica's mother, the the uh, the grandma, um, who shows up and is this kind of big disruptor to the family, and uh, and a and a disruptor in the midst of the movie. Um, but you kind of again the the <laughs> the movie plays with this idea of okay, Korean grandma is coming, 
And so what is that going to mean? And you have an idea of what that's going to mean. I mean, just, you know, just grandma coming in to move, move in with farm family. It's, it's like uh, you have some, some notions of what that's going to look like. Yes, she ends up coming in and really breaking all of the cliches of what you might think she would be. You know, she's she's kind of a salty grandma that's uh, going to kind of push these kids around in a way that they might need it. But she also, you know, she, she says bad words in front of the kids and doesn't care. And there, there, There's a great trope that they play with of the elderly grandma, you know, coming in and having and she, she brings uh, ingredients from Korea and yeah. like you know and she makes this tea this herbal tea that is supposed to be this health uh, elixir yeah and so they're playing with this trope of like wise Korean grandma who you know yeah ha- has health secrets yeah and then in the next scene the kids like convince her that th- they drink Mountain Dew at home <laughs> and they convince her like no this is this is you know water from the mountains and this is what cures things here <laughs> and she and she immediately buys into it and it's just a sugar bomb but they they turn that trope on its head, and, and really I don't think quickly. they're playing on her on on her as unintelligent or ignorant or anything. It's just that a kind of a cute prank that the kids play, and right. but it just like it just humanizes her. This is right. This is just a real person who's right. who's just kind of rough around the edges, disruptive grandma. Right, and and is a is a person. Yeah, because if she was like the wise, you know, has has. Uh, uh, proverbs that she's spitting off yeah. with you know these healing teas it it would feel so distant from how other characters are treated yeah in terms of their complexity i'm really glad you brought up the way that it the film is constantly kind of playing with your expectations for this grandma for the for this grandma character because she is uh, she comes in she's very concerned for the family she's very kind of skeptical of jacob and his his ambitions with the farm and she's concerned for her daughter and their well-being, but she's not mean-spirited about it. She's not constantly, you know, putting down Jacob. Um, and she's kind of secretly, it seems, at certain points, giving Monica some money um, just to just help with things. So ultimately, and she's not conniving. Yeah. She's not in Monica's ear like he's, you know, yes, he's no good. And ultimately, I think it's reflective of kind of her really being supportive of it. Like even just the financial support, it's like she's giving that, and there's no strings attached. It's not like I'm gonna give you this. Go back to California and take the kids. It's I, here. I'm giving this. Take care of whatever you need to take care of, and um, and and she she wants to contribute. And one of the ways that she does that in her unique way is that she takes David out to the creek behind the farm in the back, you know, five acres or whatever, and she plants uh, this weed, Minari. She plants the Minari, and uh, yeah, it's the name of the movie. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's this kind of uh, it's this plant that doesn't grow well in a lot of places, but that just kind of um, grows where where nothing else would grow uh, on the banks of a creek. You wouldn't be able to grow a crop there, but Minari is going to take root and just go crazy, and um, and. and I, I don't know. How would you describe what Minari is? I looked it up. It's some sort of celery. Yeah. Right? It, it's like a, it, I, it was described as a water celery. Yeah. Like kind of like an herb, a garnish um, uh, that, that would go into like rice dishes and that kind of a thing. Um, it's, not the, it's not the star of the show. No, 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 no. Um, and, and, and it just totally takes root in. Um, you know, and this creek, and and again, it's that kind of that playing with that expectations of like, oh, she's she's bringing the solution. It's going to be this amazing thing that's going to revolutionize the farm. And no, it's not. It's it's not ultimately a, a crop that is going to be profitable for Jacob. They're not going to be able to subsist on him cutting and selling Minari. Yeah, it's like if if he was if he was a parsley farmer. Yeah, and and he had a little patch of parsley growing on a creek. I mean, how much parsley? Made his millions. Yeah, how much parsley do you have to grow to, to make a profit? Somebody is because we're buying it, but um, but you know, it's just this little patch of Minari that she plants with David at the creek. And what I love about that is that's not the thing that's going to save the farm. But at the end of the movie, they've gone through 
a, a, a trauma. Um, they've lost a lot. Um, Jacob's lost a lot of his crops through um, through a fire, and they basically are uh, facing restarting, restarting the farm. They have to start over, and he has to start over with a new well because the well that he dug himself didn't didn't you know wasn't producing water, and basically everything he's worked toward for however many months or a year is gone, and he's starting from square one. Except they have this Minari. Not that that's going to be the thing that saves them, but it becomes this, I think, really beautiful picture of hope at the end of the movie. And that's what this grandmother brought to them. Not the solution, not the resolution, but uh, hope in the form of this weed that is this, yeah, something can take root here and growth can happen. And I I just love that picture and and kind of what she's able to bring uh, for the sake of the family right well and even that it's described as a japanese parsley where it's like th- this this uh crop or herb that is not native yeah here yes. but it's still gonna thrive yes that exactly that it is it's uh the, the the plant is an immigrant so to speak uh right be, being brought in and now taking root in this arkansas creek and and it's this picture of hope that this family can do this that Right. You you're going to walk away from the movie really feeling the hope for the Yi family that you know what they they've kind of figured this out as a family unit, you know, by the end they're restarting the farm and Monica is totally on board. She's to, she's supportive in a way that she had never been through the entirety of the movie. Right. And you it feels like everyone's leaning into the people around them. Yes. For for like in a lot of ways, it feels like each character is is trying to make their priorities happen through their own will and strength. Yeah, even Monica to a degree. Yes. Um, but at the end, it's it's leaning into that community that they've grafted themselves into, and even the community of the family. Yeah, there's a shot at the end of the film. Um, there was a big fire, burned up a lot of their crops. You know, at the beginning of the movie, when they first move in to the camper trailer, um, you know, I, I I don't remember who says it, but one of the parents says, oh, we'll all sleep on the floor our first night here together as this like fun family bonding thing in their brand new home. They, they, they don't have furniture set yeah, up yet. They don't have, yeah. It's uh, is it Jacob says they'll sleep on the floor together. Yeah. yeah. Jacob says yeah. we'll sleep on the floor together. It'll be fun. It'll be an adventure. And, and Monica's just upset that there's no, there's no, no furnitures and that the thing is in disrepair. And, you know, he's trying to make it better. And she's like, no, I'm not buying this. And there is disconnect in the family. And at the end of the movie, they go through this fire, you know, they, they, you're cleaning up everything and the family and the grandma's had a stroke yeah oh yeah grandma's had a stroke and i mean and they've been through the ringer and that night after the fire they end up all sleeping on the floor together and i feel like that that's the moment where this has now become home for all of them home for jacob in the sense that he is really now connecting with his family and not just out there striving on his own and yeah. and for monica that she is really not simply accepted this as a place where her kids are going to live but this is the home and i am going to lean into the 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 adventure or risk or whatever it is um that brought us out here and to see them as a, together yeah to see them as a whole family unit on the floor together that they didn't get their first night, but they got the night after their uh, at this after this trauma, this tragedy. It's it's a it's this really beautiful picture of how trauma can bring us together, and we come out the other end of it refined and stronger. Right. There's lots of God, church imagery stuff, ideas going on here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting the. My English teacher used to talk about like everyone has to go to hell. Yeah, um, Jesus did, uh, and you kind of have to face, you know, the darkness, the shadow self. You have to go to Mordor, you know, yeah, to overcome to to get to the the other side, the greener pastures. Yeah. And so it is interesting the fire, the refining hell fire that this family eventually yeah. all experiences and is. Like that's what gets them mm. to to choose each other. 
because a lot of the movie is Jacob will like like his own will is strong enough or he thinks it is yeah you know and and he faces a tornado and he's fighting and he, god in all these ways yes he faces you know it, the the land itself his lack of water he faces a tornado and ultimately a fire that destroys everything right the plague yeah yeah i mean and that was one of the things that's why i love that you brought up this this hell imagery because one of the things that i immediately took away from from the movie was the kind of imagery metaphor of plagues and not just the kind of limited to the plagues in in that story of um the israelites in egypt but the but what happens afterwards with the israelites you know, in the, in the Exodus narrative, God rescues his people out of Egypt where they had been slaves for generations. And then they spend generations complaining that he, the, the immediate aftermath is that the people look backwards at Egypt and say, why'd you, why'd you bring us out of Egypt? Because things were better over there right. than here wandering in the wilderness. Why'd you at take least- us out of California? <laughs> yes why did you take us out of california and you know it's the grandma who shows up and the kids are saying why did you why didn't you stay in korea you've ruined things and the movie has this kind of constantly as this kind of constant theme of characters looking backwards and saying that was better that was uh, at least you know in california we may not have been thriving but at least we were stable and now look where we are and grandma if i had stayed in korea i wouldn't be messing up these kids or whatever it is and and i just i really kind of you know obviously like you said the movie really invites a lot of that biblical um imagery and comparison and i really thought about the exodus i really thought about god bringing his people out of um uh, slavery and oppression and what freedom looked like was wandering in the wilderness for a long time mm-hmm. before they got to go into the promised land. Yeah. And, and, but it was in that time of having the space to look backwards uh, and longing to return, you know, that, that eventually Monica uh, is, she's, she's on the other side. She is fully in on what they're doing. You can't go back. No. Yeah. And, and I think, I think one of the things that the movie does that's that's unique to it, it's you know drawing on these 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 kind of narratives, but the movie really puts hope, it centers hope and prosperity on geography and time. Right. You know, for Jacob, it's this farm is going to solve all of our family's problems, and for Monica, it is back in California. That's where we're gonna, you know. And then Grandma brings this presence of Korea, where it's the nostalgia of the food and the culture and oh you know our life in korea and you know you know to her credit she also has a sobering presence of the loss that the family has experienced her you know her husband died in the war and all of that like there there is this kind of you know she's she is of an age where she has some wisdom about that experience and and so it's really interesting the way that it ties those things to uh, the the characters want to tie those uh, hope to places but ultimately, where they find that, you know, thriving stability is in their own family. It's very human. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We all do that. Yeah. Like, I mean, we've moved in the past three years, you know, and thinking about moving again. And we constantly have those conversations of, well, you know, back back there, it was like this and it was great. It's like, yeah, but you're forgetting about why it was hard. It's like, yeah, but here is is tough because of this, you know, yeah. and it's the assumption that, you know, it, it, if any, if, if I can only just be there or not here, then everything's going to fall into line. Yeah. It's like totally the last thing that matters. Yeah. I mean, that was us when Megan was in Ghana for three years. It was like, okay, once we have the visa and we can all be in America together, all of our problems are going to be solved. And obviously, obviously that's not true. And you know, in our situation, it's been nice not having to stress about that big thing. Right. But all of the other stuff is still there. Right. It's just different. You're still you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's what these, you know, that, that's, that's the thing in the movie. It's like Jacob is going to be Jacob in California or Arkansas. Yeah. And Monica is going to be, is going to be the same, um, 
and and they they need to get to a place where they can figure out how to make that that relationship work they need to not like you said to continue to not give up on each other yeah no matter where they are what their circumstances look like yeah just bold adamant stupid refusal to give up on someone Well, I think that, that that's a good wrap for our, the meat of our conversation. So we're going to cut to our, our segments that we're starting to roll out that give the episode a little bit more structure. So first segment we're going to kick off with is just some rapid fire observations that we had about the movie that weren't worth really digging too deep into, but still wanted to bring up. Uh, Matthew, what are just some rapid fire th- last last observations you had for this thing? Yeah. Uh one of the things that we don't often get to talk about in these movies because it doesn't seem to apply to our conversations, especially the way we're kind of really diving into the way we relate to the movies, is uh, is kind of some of the craft behind it. And Minari has this really beautiful score. I love the music yes. in this movie. And just want to kind of give it a shout out. It is um, composer is Emil Mosseri, and he did the music for a movie in 2019 called The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which was one of my Another favorite movies. Baller soundtrack. Yeah, and that soundtrack is one of my favorite movie soundtracks of maybe the last 10 years. Or I mean, it's I it's something I listen to all the time as I'm studying or doing work. But uh, and I I love that movie too. So anytime I can shout out The Last Black Man in San Francisco, I'm happy. Yeah, that was. I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be one of mine too. Is the the soundtrack is amazing and and is is magical and it connects a little bit to a thing I wanted to bring up. Um, the, the cinematography, especially of the actual land, um, is it, it's it's beautiful and it's it feels very uh, airy and and mystical sometimes. Like when the grandma is first mm. walking the kids down to the creek. Yeah. And the shots of her walking in the field. Yes. And it, he does. I think what it is is that he shoots a lot of this movie in the middle of the day, which movies very much tend yeah. to avoid. Yeah. Like movies always hit golden hour, you know, nighttime, blue hour. Nomadland lives on that. But very few movies shoot a majority of them in the like noon, middle of the day. You know, I, I'm so glad you brought it up. Because as I was watching the movie, there's so much of it that just seems to take place like in the heat of the day. And I could feel that. Yeah. Like it just feels like, oh, it'd be kind of hot and muggy. And and it was like almost like at odds with what I was seeing, which was so beautiful. And But being able to divorce the beauty from the, the feeling of having to be in this humid, hot weather. It was kind of an interesting experience as I was watching it. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're just you're just so not used to seeing it that it catches you off guard, like subtly. But um, and I I I'm gonna choose my words carefully here because the movie re- reminded me, listeners, please don't cancel me for this, but it reminded me of a Miyazaki movie. I don't mean to just compare, you know, a Korean director to a Japanese filmmaker, but the the airiness and and there's the, like an ethereal nature to yeah. the way the camera moves through the farm and following the characters the breeziness and yeah. and we had just watched spirited away again a couple of months back and a lot of the early scenes in that movie um where it is that high noon just mi- bright middle of the day fields it it feels it, it i don't know i'm trying to connect it to like almost a, a childhood yeah. experience of nature. Yeah. And I, and, and actually I think that's a really interesting way of putting it. I, I, and it's a shame that we haven't mentioned his name yet, but the director and writer Lee Isaac Chung is, I, what's unique about this is uh, in a lot of ways, this movie is autobiographical. So he's looking at this movie as an adult through the lens of his own, uh, his own adult experiences back at his childhood. And so there is kind of this, this tension of nostalgia that he plays with in the way he films it and the, the, the kind of beauty of the shots and the way the camera moves. I think that's what you're picking up on. Yeah. Nature is always displayed with beauty, but the home and, and the like church, uh, yes. and, and people in like man-made structures are a little darker and grittier and more confining and more. Yeah. Yeah. Claustrophobic. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And, 
that's a good segue too into my last observation. I was gonna hit the music, I was gonna hit this kind of magical cinematography, middle of the day sort of thing. And then um, the last theme that I, I loved hanging out with was the me relating to the Jacob and David, his son, mm. depending on the scene. Yeah. Or even in the same scene, but having a son myself now, I, I'm relating to, uh, and it's it's cool knowing the director, this is semi-autobiographical, and he's got his own kids now, so he's he's playing into that too. But there, there's moments where I'm so relating with Jacob's ambition and dreams and wanting to provide for his family, but do it his way. Do it in a way that he gets to write his story and define himself. Mm. But then in the next scene relating so much with the kids in this movie and specifically David, you know, they're seeing their parents fight and the kids have this great moment where they yeah. are making paper airplanes and they write on the paper airplanes, don't fight. And they're like throwing them at yeah. their parents as they're screaming at each other. And it's such a innocent childhood moment that I, you know, just to get a little vulnerable on the pod. <laughs> Our parents are divorced. Yeah. Um, but Back in the day when they were, they, they didn't really fight a lot. But no. when I felt tension, I would literally ask, like, are you guys going to get divorced? Like, that was a regular fear for me. You know, yeah. turns out it was what yeah, I, I was spot on in having that fear. <laughs> just kidding, mom. Um, but See, but my, my kid just yells at us, stop fighting. <laughs> right. He's got no fear. Um, but having that, like, just don't do it, guys. Come on. This is. And yeah. and. It, it really threw me back into childhood for yeah. a couple seconds of oh I had that that desire of wanting wanting my parents to get along again, and so mm -hmm. the way a movie lets you relate in two completely oh, yeah. opposite realms like that was pretty cool. Yeah, those are mine. You got any more? Any more rapid fires? No, no I was gonna uh, talk about the cinematography as well. For for me, I kind of really related it to a lot of Terrence Malick work. Yes, um, the way the camera moves, the way that it's really kind of interested in nature, and but again, I we talked about this with Nomadland, which had similar uh, kind of Malick uh, feel to it, but this this uh, was kind of like again a really good version of someone trying to draw from Terrence Malick and tell a really human story, which sometimes I think he struggles with, uh, right? And 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 this movie gives a right balance of kind of beauty with humanity, which yeah. I love. I mean, I feeling it and yeah. storytelling yeah yeah cool well let's move on to our next segment our next segment is our favorite shots of the movie uh mitchell why don't you start us your favorite shot of minari there's so many great ones so many that i'm i'm gonna po post a lot of them on stories this week because they're worth sh sharing but yeah i think my favorite overall just the overall composition of it and kind of what it means in the movie is when jacob is digging his well he, mm -hmm. he he hired he was gonna hire a guy to help him find a spot to dig for water on the farm and it cost too much so he's like i can do it myself again him reiterating that i can do it myself my, my own will is good enough and he's with david his son and they they find they find some water and yeah. there's this shot that it's gotta be like a crane shot pointed yeah. down at them pretty high up but he did uh uh jacob is standing in the well like arms slunked over uh the shovel they're looking down and david you know this four-year-old is he four i think he's like six okay yeah but he, his little like crouch over over this hole that his dad dug and he's like yeah like we got it and they're both celebrating and it's it's like uh simultaneously really cute and yeah and like a bonding moment for them but but also you can't help but feel just the constant just to get water yeah and i'm trudging and yes. i'm gonna do it on my own and, and kind of just the balance of, of them in that shot a father and son having this moment yeah. of striving for the dream yeah um but mainly it's that so what's going on in the in the scene but also just the look of the shot i yeah i really like um and i think it's just a great picture of it, it almost feels like Jacob's getting a bit of a little reminder with David watching him of why he's even digging this well in the first place. Yeah. Like there's a little bit more humanity injected into his ambition. Oh, absolutely. And obviously as, as dads, you know, I will all speak for me. I know you can relate, but I'll speak for me as a dad. I can just relate so purely to like, I'm getting in the weeds of my work to the point where 
maybe I should be more engaged with my son. And, and he reminds me of that. And like, I can say this is for you, but if it's for you, then shouldn't I like strive to be with you? Yeah. You know, there's just a lot of father, son and, and relating to both feelings in that yeah. scene, in that shot. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. So. I, I love that because it's a very beautifully composed shot and it's that outdoor kind of nature thing. And, and mine's kind of the opposite. My favorite shot of the movie is this inside confined claustrophobic shot. But in the midst of that is a lot of kind of joy and excitement. It is when Monica's mom, the grandmother has first arrived and uh, there is this shot. Every time he's in the, the trailer, and, and maybe this is a practical consideration, but I think part of it too is to make you feel the claustrophobia. Um, uh, you know, every time he's in it, the, the camera is almost like in a hallway shooting the characters in a room, but you're aware of the fact that you're in a hallway, right? You can feel that there's a crew trying to get the shot in a tight space. Yeah, and and, and that really serves to illustrate you know, the, the reality of their living situation. So this, this shot is from a hallway into, into a room and Monica is helping her mom unpack everything that she brought from Korea. And she gets to the box that is the big bags of food, uh, food stuff that she brought and it's anchovies and it's this spice and it's this thing. And, you know, my favorite moment is when she opens up this grocery bag and it's just chili powder and the absolute joy that Monica experiences <laughs> flavor of this flavor that she misses desperately from home. But the movie never lets you forget the claustrophobia, the reality of where she's at now, because that's the composition of the shot. But it's this tiny taste that is so meaningful and, and so uh, so kind of hope-giving for Monica and I related to it uh, in this tremendous way because that was what it was like every time I went and visited Megan in Ghana. The first night, I would have one suitcase that was basically gifts for Enoch and gifts for Megan, but all of my gifts for Megan were food things from America. Mm. It was the bags of Pete's coffee and the Seas Candy chocolates and the whatever it was and so we would go through that suitcase and i would take out the snacks from costco and the fun things that i brought those little tastes of home for megan that were so so meaningful and you know it didn't change the situation it didn't change the difficulty that we were going through but it's this little piece of joy and um and and hope that is right. always kind of this this, this again uh, it's a very human moment yeah and i i one of the things i loved about the, this movie is this is a very specific story about a Korean family immigrating, the the path that they're trying to carve for themselves. In in almost every way, I do not relate to this story. That I don't have I don't have a lot of context for this. But I think what really good storytelling does is the more specific it gets, the more universal its message or its themes are. This this moment where this woman is pulling out this bag of chili powder and cr literally crying about it. That moment is entirely specific, but I think we all understand that theme of the, that food thing, that that little treat, whatever it is. Redding just got a Chick-fil-A this week, and my <laughs> God, I have never seen cars lined up as far as the they have this week. It is unbelievable. The Redding Chick-fil-A Instagram has 18,000 followers. <laughs> How many people live in Redding? Seventeen thousand, <laughs> but yes, the 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 power of food and flavor and taste, and and that every single person on the planet can relate to that, yeah. And and we get there in this very specific moment. I think it's a, extremely well done. It's a funny, fun moment, but the the there's so much, so much behind it. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. Yeah, our final segment is just our letterboxed reviews of minari again if you don't know what letterboxed is it is a, a just kind of film social media you can follow us both on there um, and just check out the things that we're watching as we're 
um, watching more movies than just just what we're covering on the podcast. Uh, but Mitchell, what, what did you kind of give this on Letterboxd to your, your just kind of final 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 review of the film? I gave Minari four and a half stars. I wasn't sure why at first, but I knew it was beautiful and serene and and again it being shot in the middle of the day did something for me but as i thought about it more and processed what i thought about it i think it's that duality of of the father son uh perspectives that the whole movie i'm ping-ponging back and forth with laying to both of them and i just don't yeah. experience that a lot in the movie the the movie goes back and forth between those two perspectives so seamlessly right like and sometimes at the same time Minari is so subtle in its beauty. I'll just say my review because it kind of connects to this. I gave this four and a half stars because you can go into this movie and walk away from it on a surface level thinking that, that was nice. Well shot. Yeah, but, but you know, it's a simple movie um, and it kind of feels like that at, at certain points. And, and you know, by all accounts, this was done pretty cheaply, filmed in 20-something days. It's a, it's, a, it's a small film, but it's so expertly made that there is subtlety in every scene and every line there is just a richness to it that is really fun to just unpack uh the more the more that i've sat with the movie the i mean we've talked for an hour plus about this and i this conversation is not what i expected it to be you know some movies we we, kind of I mean, Sound of Metal is a good example. Last week, I watched that movie and, you know, I kind of knew what we were going to talk about. The The conversation didn't surprise me. It was a great conversation, great movie. But I think a testament of how great Minari is, is, boy, I didn't know that this was the direction this was going to go. We could have talked about a dozen different things. Right. And that's the complexity of the film. Right. Yeah. Depending on even the day that you watch it, you're going to pull different stuff from it. Yeah. Uh, it is... Or I even imagine watching it before having a son, you know? Yes. Well, watching this at different stages in your life and, um, you know, you're going to relate to each of these characters differently. And they're so well drawn that it gives you the opportunity to do so. Yeah. Loved it. Well, uh, like we said, this movie is available on VOD for $20. Once again, we want to congratulate Logan Hasty for winning our first ever uh, giveaway via Instagram for a Minari ticket in the form of iTunes, Amazon gift card. And uh, yeah, so. And uh, I also want to say thank you to everyone who wrote reviews on Apple Podcasts for us uh, and did not win. We so appreciate uh, the time you took and the support. And if you're out there and you haven't left us a review, go do it. It means so much to us. And to those people, we say, Best of luck on our next contest, which That's is right. to be announced. All right, so this kind of wraps up this week's episode of Movies While They Sleep. Uh, Mitchell, is Mitchell, why don't you tell us, uh, tell everybody the ways that they can follow us and keep up with us throughout the week. Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at Movies While They Sleep. You can follow us on Twitter at MWTSpod. Uh, we're on YouTube, kind of. Uh, at movies while they sleep and uh yeah follow us on instagram mainly though that's where we post uh our favorite shots that we've talked about or focusing our attention in terms of sharing more content about the episode and upcoming episodes we talk about our favorite shots and we actually show them we talk about the coming attractions for next week's episode and uh, we're just implementing more and more little little slices of of content for for y'all to to snack on throughout the week Hey, and we do not want to be the only ones sharing our favorite shots. So if you want to, uh, if you want to post and tag us and share your favorite shots for the movies that we're watching, we'd love to see them. We had uh, somebody do that this week, and that was neat to uh, just kind of continue the conversation. You know, it's cool because it was a shot that I hadn't thought about, but it was great. Yeah, it was. It was. It was just like, oh yeah, that is really striking really strikingly beautiful shot from Malcolm and Marie. Uh, that was neat. Yeah. So po- post your shots, put them on stories, tag us and, and we'll repost them. Yep. Um, other than that. So next week on the podcast, we are going to be talking about a movie. Uh, that's a little bit outside of mine and Mitchell's comfort zone, but it's definitely going to be in the movie conversation over the next few weeks. And that is the re-release of the justice league, the Snyder cut. 
If you're not familiar, Zack Snyder, the original director, has come back, uh, done some reshoots of this big superhero movie last year, and it is being re-released, the Justice League Snyder Cut, on HBO Max uh, this week, March 18th. So we're going to watch this. Mitchell and I uh, have basically not seen any of the DC superhero movies, so we're coming in really, really fresh. Full disclosure, I have seen none of these. <laughs> I've seen the Wonder Womans, but they are mostly not connected to this film at all. Mitchell's seen none of them. Uh, so this is kind of going to be a new experience for us, but we thought this is a good opportunity with the movie coming out for us to check it out. Uh, but because we are basically newbies to the DC universe, we are going to have our first guest on the podcast with us. Mitchell, why don't you tell us about our guest? Yes, we are so excited to have Paul Antleitner on the pod. And Paul uh, has a podcast called Deep Talks, Exploring Theology and Meaning Making. Mm. And uh, it's it's an amazing podcast. He uh, often does a- almost a similar thing to what we do on Movies While They Sleep, but he'll take uh, some pop culture and look at it through the lens of theology and how to apply theology uh, to, to watching movies, comic books, TV shows. Um, and really inject and pull out a lot of more meaning than we would normally just just consuming yeah. this content. Um, but he's he's amazing, super deep guy, uh, masters in Christian thought, yeah. and so we thought he'd be a perfect guest to help guide us through this very dark and moody <laughs> DC universe uh, that we are unfamiliar with. Yes, and he is a big fan of the DC comics in general, DC cinematic universe, all of that. And Paul has given us some homework before we record next week's episode. Not only will, yes. we, will we because we're so clueless. <laughs> not only will we be watching the Snyder Cut, but we will also be watching Man of Steel and Batman Batman versus Superman Ultimate Edition. I think it's called. We have, Pray for us we have, this week, yes, we're, listeners. We're going to be watching a lot of DC Comics movies. Uh, you, uh, listener, don't have to listen to any of this. Watch or watch any of this. Watch the Snyder Cut. Don't watch it. The Snyder Cut is four hours. <laughs> long people we we do we do it all for you watch it or don't watch the snyder cut watch any of this watch all of it either way next week's podcast is going to be great it's going to be a great conversation and i think uh hopefully our goal is that it's pretty accessible even if you haven't watched the film and honestly these stories superman the dc comics uh and and i think what we'll be really centering our conversation on is the, the 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 these kind of big superhero stories and what they mean and this is a good chance for us to uh talk to paul and get his insights and just as a, a where he's coming from he, he's a genius he's a mad genius we are so thankful and stoked for him to be on the pod yeah so super looking forward to that and uh yeah just just really excited uh, but that's all we got this week loved our conversation about minari And like we said, next week, it's Justice League, the Snyder Cut. Good night, listeners. Bye.